Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Hello and welcome to Transporter Lock, episode number 29 for season 2, episode 3, Point of Light of Star Trek Discovery. I'm your co-host, Chief Engineer Ken Gagney. And I'm Captain Sabriel Mastin, and I have just three words for you, Ken. Three words? What are those three words, Captain Mastin? What's the point? What is the point? Point of Light, what is the <laughs> this point, This episode, Sabriel? this episode. <laughs> I know. Boy. Yeah, this was my least favorite episode of the season so far. Yeah, same here. And it does not I mean I didn't like it. It just... Uh, I mentioned to you just before we started recording, I feel like this could have been three short treks. Yeah, it was, there was a lot of stuff going on here, but it was all very disjointed. And I feel like the first episode of the season, there was a lot of buildup, a lot of narrative, a lot of exposition, but also a lot of action. There was enough to keep us engaged. And the episode itself even ran long to fit it all in. The second episode was more of a traditional Star Trek episode. And as we discussed last week, that appealed to a lot of people and I enjoyed it too. And then the third episode, I just felt like too much going on and at the same time, not enough. Not enough that was interesting, not enough that could hold together a whole episode. I felt like they were throwing stuff in not to give us fans something to look at, but just because like they needed to say something and just build it up for the rest of the season. Yeah, basically, like, all right, here's setting up some more things because we didn't do it in the first two episodes. Like, and it's not necessarily, like we said, it's not necessarily bad. It was just, didn't have that same energy the first two had. How about that? I would definitely agree with that. It's been a very uneven season so far. But let's try to give a little TLDR, if we can, of what did all happen in this episode. And as you said, there could be three short treks here. So let's try to do three TLDRs. Which one of us should start? Oh, gosh. I don't know if I could even. Uh, <laughs> well, whoever starts also finishes. So who should do two of them and who should do one of them? Choose your pain. No! <laughs> you can go first. Yes. Yes, I'll go first, but I get to choose which TLDRs to do. Should I do Tilly's plot? Should I do Ashes? Or should I do Michael's and Spock's? Which one of those three do you want to do? Oh, you're going to let me choose my pain anyway, huh? I am, to a degree. I'll take the Klingon one. Okay, so so former Cadet Tilly, now Ensign Tilly, is in the command training program, but she's been infected, as we suspected last week, by a spore that is causing her to see an old dead friend. And this week, when she goes to take her command test, she freaks out because she's seen what she thinks is a ghost or a neurological breakdown, and she quits the command training program. Michael says, hey, it's probably not you. It's probably something else that's going on. And let's get you checked out by Stamets. And they deduce that it is a spore, as we suspected. Specifically, I believe, and we'll get into this if I'm wrong, especially, a mirror universe spore. And so Stamets sucks it out of her with apparently no long-term damage to Tilly. And they capture it in a force field. Is that pretty much it? That's, that's, a, that's a good synopsis. Quick, quick TLDR. All right. Shall, shall we discuss this plot before we get into the other TLDRs? Uh, yeah, why not? Let's do that. Let's do that. Okay. So what did you think of the Tilly plot? I liked it. I got a kick out of it uh, for just interesting. And uh, I, I felt it was the, one of the more interesting of the plot points. I guess any of the Federation ones, the Klingon one I felt was the least interesting, but we'll get to that. 
I, like, we're already getting a resolution. Like, oh, yep, you're right. It is a spore thing. All right, we're going to do a thing about it. Here we go. But one of my favorite parts about this is that Tilly is, ha- ha- well, I mean, I'm not happy that Tilly had a breakdown, but Tilly's having a breakdown in her quarters. And Michael believes her that there's something going on and not the, oh, no, you're just seeing things. <laughs> Michael believed her and the crew believed her. And I was like, I appreciate that. Yeah, and Saru refused her resignation from the command training program. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I liked that. So what you're saying is something I also picked up on, but you may not know something about me, which is that I grew up watching Days of Our Lives. One of the tropes they used in that show and in all soap operas was characters not talking to each other, of people making assumptions and not bothering to verify the truth and thus going on and on with the wrong course of action, even marrying the wrong people because they believe the wrong thing. And I saw a little bit of that with Tilly's plot, where if she would just tell somebody what she was going through, she wouldn't have this problem. And she did tell Michael, and Michael believed her. So this was a pretty brief resolution from the time she the spore was activated last week to the time that the truth came out this week. I like how brief that was, because in Days of Our Lives, this could have gone on for literally years. <laughs> I'm still a little frustrated that they use a soap opera trope because I would like to see this crew communicating to each other. Even in the very first episode, we saw Burnham not telling Pike about the Red Angel. And she had a good reason for that, because her last captain was a cheat. But the very next week, she did confide in him. And so we're seeing this trust building pretty quickly, and I'm glad to see that at least. Oh, yeah. Uh Gosh, you know, I was just, I was thinking about while you were talking here, like this whole Tilly part was like maybe 10 minutes of the episode. <laughs> Yeah, it was not a major part of the episode. It seemed pretty important last week. And by the way, the first time we see her seeing a ghost this week, she was in the middle of a marathon. Why were all the lights flickering? That was a little weird, too. Um, I mean, other than showing the path of the the running route, but I feel like it would be lit up more in advance. But that was the only thing I could think of was it's just there to show them the route because a ship is not a normal place where you run. I mean, I guess it is. Because they did it in season one, too. That's where we get the disco shirts from. Yeah. Now, I know 100 years later on the Enterprise D, when Loxana Troy asks how to get somewhere, the ship's computer just lights up panels and says, follow the panels. Mm-hmm. I would think that that would not be such an advanced technology that the Discovery wouldn't have it as well. The ability to directionally light up panels to point people in a way, as opposed to just flashing them in this random haphazard fashion. I get that it fits the theme of, ooh, the ship is haunted by a ghost, but... Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Well, that's what I originally thought they were trying to do. I thought that the lighting was all part of Tilly's hallucination. Uh, Is it plausible? I've already forgotten that moment. Is it plausible that is the case? Or like we're just focusing on Tilly? No, because it was doing for the other runners, too. I don't know. We saw it continue to happen. I, I don't think it was... And also, Tilly's hallucination has been limited to just the ghost so far. Yeah, but but to answer your question, no, I mean, it's plausible, you know, it's either forget about, I mean, in a real sense, it's plausible either forget that they did that in TNG, because I think they did it once, uh, or if they remembered that, it's like, oh, we're just going to do our own take on it. I mean, if that is the reason, if that is the inspiration. I don't know, if I was Pike and I saw my ship's lights flickering, I'd be like, what the hell is going on down here? Somebody replace the fuse, flip the breaker, do whatever you got to get the lights working again. Eh, I mean, it wants to do that if you didn't think anything was wrong. And everyone seemed totally okay with it, so... 
there may have been some internal communication that to which we were not privy about how the ship's lights would be flickering. <laughs> or just oh. lighting a path. Although we did see in the short treks Calypso where the light slowly turned on as he advanced down a corridor. And he, I think he even said that like, he felt he was being led somewhere. That is true. And, you know, I actually just watched Calypso again the other night. Oh, it's a, such a good one. But, uh, yeah, that did happen. That did happen. And that is the discovery, even though it's a thousand years in the future and not... Mm-hmm. I still think it... Well, anyway, we are very much harping on a very minor point, <laughs> which is my style, which is fine. But you know. <laughs> um, I... There was some conjecture online about why Tilly didn't want to just listen to the thing as it's pleading for its life at the end. Because this little life form thing, without Stamets, was the captain. Uh, it was like, the all episode, it was like, no, 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 where's the short blonde one? Where's the blonde one? And uh, that's not the captain. That's talking about Pike. That's not the captain. It's the blonde one. And then when they get down to engineering, the spore lady ghost thing is pointing at the uh, spore drive interface. That's how he flies the ship. And so the spore has some kind of awareness about what's going on, but it confused Stamets as the captain. Did you know who she was describing when she said the short blonde one? Oh, not until we got down to engineering. Yeah, I couldn't figure it out myself. I, like, I was thinking Kirk isn't blonde, and he's not. <laughs> I had no idea what was going on, except maybe some sort of a oh. temporal anomaly. Tilly was like basically like, nope, I just want this thing out of me. I'm not going to listen to it, even though as it's pleading here, saying like, this isn't part of the plan. No, not yet. And then they just suck it out with the the doogism, doogasm, the do, dooly do. Doohickey. The, That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> so you're saying that Tilly should have listened to the ghost, no. kind of like... I'm not saying she should have. I'm not saying she should have. I just found it interesting that she didn't. Because we don't know that the spore beast is malevolent. Although, am I inferring correctly that the spore is from the mirror universe? Oh, I don't. I didn't catch that at all, but I mean, it's plausible. I can't say it's not the way it is, but I didn't infer that at all. At all. I would need to rewatch the season one finale to know for sure. I don't remember. I don't remember them encountering mirror spores. Uh, to but... me, to me, the spores were kind of like transdimensional or transuniversal. The way like Stamus talked about just how the experience and what it was. So I just to me it just felt like they were just an enigma persistent in all realities. It's how honestly how I felt the whole time. Oh, okay. So it doesn't matter what universe you're in; it's the same spores. Yeah, but you know I could be wrong too. It's just that's what I was the impression I always got. However, this spore certainly does seem malevolent to a degree. Maybe it, it is evil. And maybe they all have some kind of consciousness. We just don't know yet. I guess we'll find out. Maybe that's why they stopped using the spore drive. Kind of like in... Oh, oh, oh. What, what was the name of that? Is it Phoenix? No, it's not Phoenix. That was... Oh, uh, the Equinox. Yes, thank you. Oh my god, we're on the same page. Maybe that's why they stopped using the spore drive, kind of like the Equinox in Voyager. You can't use an engine that's powered by living creatures. Yeah, and that that does kind of make sense. Uh, I would be inter- I will be fascinating and uh, excited to see if that's how it tracks out. I think that's pretty much all we have to say about that third of the episode. If if it was even that much, do you want to go ahead with your next TLDR, Captain Maston? Uh, yeah, talk about the Klingons. The Klingons. Do it. <laughs> I, love, I love it when um classic trek and you think they even said it here the other day the klingons as it was like oh did they uh no no i think last episode or two i wrote a note saying like someone said it the tos way oh i didn't even i was not even aware there was a tos way but now that you mention it you're right no 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 some some klingons or some some people in the original series that say klingon instead of klingon interesting 
Even Klingons. And I think in the original series, didn't the Klingons speak Klingonese? Oh, that's what the one said in The Trouble with Tribbles. I hear they're even teaching people how to speak Klingonese. (laughs) But they don't say that anymore. It's just Klingon, right? Yeah, yeah. Just things they didn't stick with. And have they ever been from the planet Kling? <laughs> I think that was the other episode where they, yep, they're from Kling. <laughs> I, I do seem to recall that coming up. I don't know how you get Klingon from Kronos, but whatever. Maybe it's an accident. I mean, how, don't, how you get human from Earth or Terra That's v- or Soul. Well, not Soul, but yeah. I mean, we are called Terrans by some. Yeah. Especially in the Mirror Universe Terran where we have the Terran yes. Empire. Mm-hmm, which I love. Yes. Anyway. Moving on. The Klingons. You know, I think I said earlier this is the least interesting. I By the end, I found it's one of the best ones because I love a character that showed up. Um, anyway, we return to Kronos. We have the Chancellor proclaiming that we are all houses united. and uh, But everyone, is ha- or a lot of people are having trouble with this human-looking guy named Ash Tyler or Voke. Hey, you don't trust me. Hey, treat me as Voke. And she's like, oh. No, I I love you then. And he's like, Oh no, I can't do that. And then uh he finds out that uh Lorel, Chancellor Lorel had a baby before the Ash Tyler transformation. Then one of the houses uh who keeps trying to take over kidnaps the baby after they find out about the baby. Lorel and Ash fight bad guy, uh Cole, Cole Tar, Cole Shar, something like that. And then uh just as they're about to lose, just as she si- she's forced to sign over the chancellorship, uh, Philip and Georgiou, Emperor Georgiou, hops out of nowhere, beats the crap out of everyone, and then tells Laurel, no, you're going to get rid of Ash, Tyler, because we need you in power here in Kling, in, in Kling <laughs> or Kronos, and uh, we're going to take the baby, we're going to take Ash, you pretend to kill Ash, you pretend to kill the baby, and uh, we're going to go do things. Oh, and I'm in section 31. Thank you. Bye. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. Bye-bye. <laughs> no, for real though. I, I think by the end, I think this became one of the more interesting or an interesting arc, but, but it was kind of dull to me at first, but sometimes Klingon, sometimes Klingon politics is fun to watch. And sometimes it's all right. Yep. Just go beat things up. <laughs> and which one was this? Uh, it was starting to be the, okay. Just go beat things up, but then I think got it interesting when the beating up happened when Georgiou was involved. <laughs> ah, yes, Captain Georgiou. So, one of the things I didn't like about this arc was the same thing that you and I discussed last week about the spore drive is that they're bringing back a lot of things from season one. I feel like they're almost going backward instead of moving forward. In what way? What, what did you? like about it then i mean the first two episodes of the season we didn't see laurel we didn't see ash and i kind of thought that we were done with them i felt like they were making room for new characters i also felt like this klingon plot as far as we've seen so far and this may change in future episodes it had it didn't tie into anything else going on this episode it was completely discreet uh the only tie-in it had was at the beginning laurel is talking and cole the guy who wanted power is like it's no coincidence that seven red lights appeared in the sky and they will drop blood until we get rid of her or something like that. Right. Although there was the crossover where Ash called Burnham on the communicator, but even that didn't impact Discovery's plot. No, it didn't. Uh, I did, however, get a kick out of the fact that um, Burnham has a triple ringtone for uh, Ash. 
I totally miss that. Yeah, because all of a sudden you, she's talking to Amanda, and all of a sudden you're hoo hoo. <laughs> then she's like, "Oh, I got a phone call. Hold on." <laughs> That's amazing. I need to go back and rewatch that. That's amazing. <laughs> One thing I also missed, but which my coworker Tom, with whom I watched this episode, point out to me, was that Burnham shows up to Ash in full color, but Ash shows up to Burnham in less than full color. Yeah, it could be difference in technology, hologram technology, but they also are playing with um, camera a lot in that one, where like we could see uh, at one point we see, or just use the term real Michael talking to hologram Ash, then we switches to Ash, real Ash talking to hologram Michael, then they also do this really cool split screen thing where real Michael is on the left and real Ash is on the right, but still technically speaking apart just that i thought the camera work there was kind of neat i agree that was cool it almost looked like half of burnham's quarters were the klingon homeworld yeah that was really neat look i concur for that's just a design as a director design directorial design i think yeah just cool camera work yeah i like that too i mean okay so there were a few things on here i got it i found interesting klingons have hair again thank god they even mentioned that they did and there's like they they meant they kind of make it allude to like oh the klingons uh, they got they grow their hair out again because they're not at war. There's no precedent for that at all. But I found it interesting, <laughs> like in past treks. I mean, what? I mean, I, I was just glad to get rid of season one Klingon look. Were all Klingons bald in season one? More or less. Jeez, we didn't see any hair on them, so I, I'm happy for the change. Even if they just made up a new precedent, a new retcon, I'm happy with it just to get the hair back. Was that the only aesthetic change to the Klingons this season? I think so. Some got better with speaking with their fake teeth. Yeah, I mean, I haven't put season one and season two Klingon side by side. I wasn't sure if maybe their prosthetics or their ridges had changed at all. Another change is some of the language felt more natural. Like when they were speaking Klingon in the first season, there was a lot of breaks between words. So we can accent, we're speaking Klingon, like James Kirk. (laughs) <laughs> or uh, William Shatner. But this one, I felt more natural, like more natural speak. I totally felt like th- it felt different. It felt better, even when they were speaking Klingon, even if they were having troubles with their prosthetics. Didn't we say in the first season that we were finally, for the first time, hearing Klingon the way it was meant to be spoken? I mean, to a point, yeah. But I still, it, I just don't know, like the prosthetics, they're, they're poorly with those. <laughs> like, I, I was happy. I was honestly happy to hear more Klingon last season, but that's me. I wonder if they changed the language or changed the prosthetics. I just think people just got better with it. Or maybe a little mixture of both, really. I don't really think they changed the language. I think they just got better at directing how to speak it. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, I I didn't really notice that as much. I did like that they worked into the plot why and when they were speaking English. Because that always, it didn't bug me on TNG. Obviously, it was for the viewer's benefit. But it's something I was aware of, is that why would a ship full of Klingons with no humans in sight be speaking English? Mm -hmm. And even that one part where the subtitles in this episode switched from English to Klingon, that was clever. That was really cool. I love that scene. Yeah. It reminds me of a similar scene in the classic movie Nuremberg, where a German is speaking German, and then the camera shifts in such a way that he begins speaking English, and it was a really elegant transition. Also, in the GameCube game, Eternal Darkness, where the original main character goes from speaking Latin to speaking English. These are like the only examples I can think of where a shift in language for the viewer's benefit was really cleverly done. That's why I'm bringing them up. Oh, that's really cool. That's really cool. I like it. 
There's a few possibilities here, but uh, we got to see pink Klingon blood again, and lots of it. Oh, so while humans are red and Vulcans are green, Klingons are pink? Well, in Star Trek VI, <laughs> the undiscovered country, they were forced to color their blood pink because there was so much of it to get a good different rating. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. Or, or they had a special scene where they were just like, they were forced to change the color to bubblegum pink kind of thing. And, or they chose that color just so they wouldn't get a higher rating. And uh, they stuck with it here. So when they're like stabbing each other at the big fight at the end, uh, there's pink blood. It's kind of mixed, like a pink, red, pinkish blood just splattering everywhere. So kind of like how the Super Nintendo version of Mortal Kombat got a T rating instead of M because they changed the blood to gray and called it sweat. Yeah, yeah, yep, exactly. Huh. I had no idea. <laughs> Where do you learn all these things? Is, don't you remember Star Trek Six? Oh, sure, I do remember Star Trek Six. But that, how many people do you think went to the theaters to see Star Trek Six and walked out saying, "Did you notice that the Klingon blood was pink? I wonder why that oh, was." Everyone did. Everyone did. Everyone, come on, Bree. Well, apparently not one. <laughs> <laughs> all but one. Star Trek Six is the first Star Trek movie I ever saw in a theater. Or I think I may have seen other ones, but the first Star Trek Six. The first Star Trek movie I was old enough to remember going to. If you were that young, were you noticing pink blood at that age? Oh, yeah. It stands out. Blood's red when you're a kid. And you so, went home and you looked up on the internet. I that don't know exist. what year I looked it up. But like, but like <laughs> or what I found out. But like you remembered this long enough to go looking for it. Well, yeah, I've just been on the internet for 30 years or 20 years. <laughs> to be clear, I'm, not, I'm neither doubting you nor mocking you. I am in awe. <laughs> I absorb a lot of Star Trek information. Which I think is fascinating because this is one of the few <laughs> places where I can learn something new every week about Star Trek. <laughs> Yay. Hey. So I want to talk about the Deus Ex Machina at the end of the Klingon plot where Captain Georgiou just pops in from nowhere and saves the day. But she was already there. We saw her. Did we? Where? There was a scene. Okay, so I kind of skipped over some of this in my TLDR, but uh, Ash doesn't think Lorel's uncle trusts him and he's sitting in the room alone uh he's actually playing with his fingers like tr he's making them really bloody for some reason or i don't know if he's like upset about his fingerprints or his identities having he's having trouble with this klingon human identity but anyway he's sitting there having a moment to himself and a figure walks by uh in the in the background and to me i recognize immediately is not klingon uh but i i because i saw the preview i knew what her outfit looked like but um she's walking in the background and he hears it turns out to be her, but he doesn't know it. He thinks it's um, Lorel's uncle or someone from the family spying on him. So he goes to the house and says, what's going on? And he brings a knife and says, why don't you trust me? And they're all like, ah, but you're fine. You don't understand. Okay, fine. Uh, there's a baby. But uh, yeah, actually, uh, while he was sitting there and alone, kind of contemplating life, Jojo was there. I totally missed that that was her. Yeah. I mean, it, it's you if you didn't know... It was her. I mean, if you didn't see like the preview of what she looked like when she popped out, there's no way you would have known. I would have thought she would have been stealthier than that. Uh, maybe she was trying to instigate something, too. Still, she did have a lot of very convenient technology that allowed her to wipe out all the opposition. Yeah. I mean, Section 31 has always been able to get into wherever they need to. I don't think I've ever seen their tech be that advanced. I mean, to be, to be fair, most of our knowledge of Section 31 comes from ds9 they were not in tng mm -hmm. they were not in voyager they were in one episode of enterprise maybe two and i don't remember on ds9 them relying on technology i remember them being able to just like 
pop up from out of nowhere and get whatever they need. But I don't remember them showing off like walking through walls and having this amazing weaponry, etc. Oh no, they didn't. They didn't. Uh, they just it was always left to the imagination. Like how do they always get to wherever they need to go? How do they always know all the things? But those episodes also focused on Bashir doing things, not them. Right. And so this episode, I felt, left less to the imagination as far as Section 31 goes. Yeah, which I thought was cool. I've always loved Section 31. (laughs) I also wonder, though, if they have that much technology. Now, we don't know where they get it. I I assume it's illicit. But you would think that they would find some way to funnel it back into mainstream Federation technology. Oh, there's a difficult part, though. If If you give even, like, Section 31 isn't the Federation, I'll tell you that. Uh, and they aren't, they aren't Starfleet, so if they give them, they'll give them an advantage that, uh, who knows? Hmm. Uh, Section 31 is there to maintain the status quo, not to advance the technology of their people kind of thing. That's true. They're not the Borg. Right. Although Ash Tyler did not seem at all surprised by Section 31. Uh, to me, I, I, when I was re-watching that, I was thinking, like, uh, it's one of those rumored things that you know, even actually in DS9, no one seemed to know about their existence. But in this time period, everyone seems to have heard that kind of like the, I mean, like, oh, what's something here? The NSA. I don't want to say NSA, but I kind of like everyone's the known secret or the worst kept secret. It seems like everyone's heard of it, but no one actually knows if it's real. So is that what those black com badges were at the beginning of season one? That's definitely what it was. It was an unexplained thing we never got a resolution to in the, from season one. And I I think I remember reading later on, they were toying with some plots there, but then because of all the changes in in, uh, showrunners or writers or whatever, all that jazz, they changed things up. So we don't have a consistent explanation for what they were doing in season one, those black combat. No, not yet. Maybe they'll fix something. Maybe they'll add something now like, oh, shoot, maybe we could fix that plot hole and then do something this season, but we just don't know. I respect that real world influences do sometimes screw up plots, and I... I'm happy to let that be a plot hole for now. Yeah, I mean, if they feel like answering it, I think they will. Like, they'll make it work. Now, this does seem to be setting up the Captain George U series. Yeah, I, I love Section 31. I love Michelle Yeoh, so I'm all for a TV series starring her. Starring her and Ash Tyler. Yeah, if he goes into it. Actually, I haven't paid that close attention to it if he's in it, too. Or if it's only a season two thing here. It seems likely, kind of like how the TV show Legends of Tomorrow borrowed characters from Flash and Arrow, etc. They didn't just start with all new characters. They pulled existing ones into their own show. I think that's what they're going to do with this one. Oh, like Walter pulled from MASH. <laughs> Very obscure reference. Was that a character they borrowed or was it a spinoff? That was a spinoff, but yeah. Kind of like Trapper John? Yeah, Trapper John MD. Anyway, anyway, there's also Albino Baby. We've seen an albino, besides Vogue, we've seen an albino Klingon before. That's the one that Jadzia Dax and her Klingon friends went up against, right? Yeah, yeah, we don't really, I think that one had troubles, like someone killed his parents, and so I'm going to kill the people who did that, or something like that. It's a little hazy at the moment, but uh, it's not impossible to rule out that it's somehow related, but it's not also much to connect with other than also albino. Well, we know that the Klingons that Jadzia teamed up with on DS9 were also on TOS, and TOS is set 10 years after Discovery. So either the events that they reference in DS9 happened several years after TOS, or that albino baby grows up very fast. Yeah, so... eh. What did you think of Georgiou's ship? 
I thought it was a neat looking ship, but then, because that's the first time we've ever seen a Section 31 ship. But uh, you pointed out that uh, someone pointed out to you that it looked like something from a movie. Yeah. Again, my coworker Tom said that it looks like Spock's shuttle, I think, from the motion picture. And he yeah. also said there were hints of the USS Bozeman, which was in the TNG episode Cause and Effect, and also the Miranda class, which we've seen in various episodes. So nice little nods there. Yeah, I don't know if it's any of those things. I wouldn't be surprised if Section 31 has their own design. Same here. Maybe inspired, but I mean, we've seen that they draw from some really cool wells here in Discovery, like making things canon that were never were. Like apparently, the fact that they reference a control wants you to do this in the Section 31 ship was pulled from beta canon. They referenced Section 31 uh, leaders as control. I had no idea. I just assumed it was a Get Smart reference. (laughs) It could be. It could be. You know, they're trying to save the Federation from chaos. <laughs> and maybe that's where all those hairy mud androids came from. They were based on the same design as Jaime. That, that, that's it. There you go. Hey, I figured <laughs> it out. The Star Trek Get Smart crossover I've been waiting for. <laughs> Get your cone of silence. Yay. Uh, <laughs> I did love one little scene here. Giorgio, uh, when Ash is holding the baby, she walks up kind of quietly and she has this like coos at it for a split second before Ash turns and notices her. And she's like, oh, no, straight face. <laughs> <laughs> Can't be a mom when you're a Klingon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess that leaves us to the third and final TLDR. Yeah, go for it. Michael Burnham, the main character of the show, is visited by her foster mother, Lady Amanda. She comes aboard to say, hey, I went to see Spock. They wouldn't let me see him. So I stole his medical records on this USB thumb drive. Can you decipher it? She says no. Captain Pike says no. Captain Pike calls an old friend and learns that Spock has killed three doctors and escape. Pike says decipher those medical charts. They decipher them and pictures of the Red Angel are in there. Burnham says that I need to find out what Spock knows about the Red Angel, but he won't talk to me because I did something irreparably cruel to him as a child to push him away from me because I thought it would be better for him in the long run. And Lady Amanda says, I will go find Spock. See ya. Yeah. And I thought that she seemed kind of mad at Michael and the way she stormed off and then the way we saw somebody else storm in to the Klingon homeworld for a split second there, not knowing that that was going to be Captain George U, because I don't watch the previews, I thought that was Lady Amanda. <laughs> I guess well, she did have a hood. That would have been such a rewrite for her character. Yes, it would have. Oh. <laughs> Imagine if Lady Amanda was in Section 31. How cool would that be? Uh, that'd be really weird. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad they didn't do that. But I can't rule it out that they won't do it, but yeah, it's really weird. Um, yeah, who knows? She didn't seem kind of mad. She was furious. <laughs> At Michael? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She gave her the kiss goodbye and talk to you later. You hurt my son. I'm out of here. She was furious. I couldn't tell if she was furious or determined. I certainly accept that she could have been furious. But we still don't know what Burnham did to Spock. We don't know. Uh, we may find an answer eventually. I'm guessing we will. But yeah, it was very bad. And Amanda was like, all right. Yeah, basically, <laughs> make it makes it plausible why we never hear of Michael in any other series. Do you have any theories as to what she did to him? I have one. Uh, I don't, other than she physically hurt him. Well, I was thinking to myself, what kind of an injury could any of my brothers have done to me that would make me hate them for life? I mean, if they had called me names, if they locked me in a closet, if they told me that mom didn't love me or that I was adopted... None of those things would leave a 
permanent scar that I would never get over. But there's one thing, one thing only, that if any of my brothers had ever done to me, I never would have spoken to any of them ever again. And that is if they'd killed my dog. Uh-huh. Oh, could have been like killed his, was it Sri Lak? A Selot. Selot, okay. Yeah. Now, I didn't have a dog, which is why I still speak to my brothers. <laughs> but we know that Spock did from the animated series. And if Michael ever did anything to that Selot, I don't know what Spock would have done. I mean, granted, he's supposed to be this unemotional Vulcan, but I don't know. Dogs got a way of bonding with their owners, and I, that's not something that you get over lightly. Yeah, yeah. But still, I feel like the way they're building this up and the way that Burnham refused to tell Lady Amanda this past week, I almost feel like if we build this up over the season and finally she comes out and says, I'm sorry I killed your dog, I, th- that that almost seems like it would be not what we're expecting. It, it, it's not. It's almost not dramatic enough. Yeah, I feel like it would be some kind of psychological thing. Right, uh, yeah. I don't know, like maybe Spock tried to mind meld with her and I don't know. Who knows? It's it's weird. Yeah. Family is weird. <laughs> yes, it is. What else did you think about this subplot? I mean, there, I found like interesting, like we had, I mean, unrelated to the Spock thing that like Pike is calling the Starbase and the guy's like, uh, he makes a joke about how Pike and his great grandmother are the only two people left in the quadrant who use 2D screens for calls. Yeah, I thought I, I liked that, especially since, as we know from TOS, TNG, etc., that two D screens are all anybody uses. Uh huh. But um, but but for real though, I thought there's something I don't have an answer for yet. And I think we're not supposed to yet. But Spock has nightmares related to the Red Angel, but the Red Angel has also led a uh, Discovery crew and even Spock when he was younger to people that needed help. That's true. That is how Spock found Michael when she ran away. Yeah. And so I don't have an answer for that yet, but I I found that interesting. Well, I mean, we also do know that the Red Angel saved all those people who were about to be killed in World War III, and she led the Discovery to the Hiawatha before it got destroyed and saved its entire crew. I mean, it has not outrightly done anything malevolent yet. Yeah, other than apparently give Spock nightmares, either intentionally or not. And maybe make the rings around that planet collapse, but knowing that the Discovery would save it. Yeah. I'm wondering also if the Red Angel has some sort of a non-temporal view of the world. Non-linear view, I mean. Because like, it can tell what is going to happen. It can almost see the future. Yeah. Like the, the Wormhill aliens. Right. And again, just like I don't think the Red Angel is Q, I don't think it's a prophet either. But we're definitely seeing some related powers and abilities yeah i i don't have a yeah definitely <laughs> are <laughs> oh and i forgot you have a hypothesis what would that be uh there's very loose threads here there's very little things connecting this one together i was just when i was watching this on thursday night i had a wait a minute that looks like this i was watching the opening credits and they had the wing red angel doing her doing their thing in the opening credits like that kind of looks like the romulan star empire logo and there's not a lot of threads there going but i can't come 100 rule it out but it just doesn't make much sense but I mean, it did kind of make sense in the thought of like what would make later spock want to do reunification if some traumatic thing happened with the vulcans or and romulans and things like that but i really can't i don't have much to go on there it just kind of appeared in so my the head. opening credits that you skipped in episode one 
yeah, I finally watched them. <laughs> so we, uh, of course, have seen Romulans in other pre-TNG episodes. They were in Balance of Terror episode of TOS. It's where we first saw them. We saw their ships and the Romulans themselves working behind the scenes in season four of Enterprise. And also one earlier season episode, there was like a minefield. Yeah, an Enterprise yeah. minefield. Yeah, yeah. The okay. episode was called Minefield. Face palm. Great. Thanks. So mm-hmm. I don't know that they would do that again. Uh, they would be limited by canon in not allowing Starfleet to see Romulans, or at least not go on the record with them, kind of like Mirror Universe. Oh, we did discover it before everybody else. We just can't talk about it. Yeah. Like, there's not much going there other than reference, like Beta Quadrant. This is very tied to Spock and the vague similarity of the design of the Romulan uh, Star Empire logo and the Red Angel. Oh, since I watched clips, so immediately after episode three on Thursday night, the future guy had a tattoo of a similar shape as well. It was like a cyclops. And we were eagle. wondering how all the short treks would tie into the main show. Yeah, so maybe there's a connection there, but it seems kind of loose and ten or what's the word ten- tenuous or tenuous. Yeah, tenuous at the moment, but I can't 100 percent rule it out. I just don't have much. Well, it's certainly it possible, uh, and I wouldn't mind seeing the Romulans. That would be a cool tie-in. On the other hand, since season one did the Mirror Universe, I wouldn't mind seeing season two do something wholly original. I mean, again, yeah. it's hard to introduce a new alien race when you're limited by canon, but it would be cool to see them encounter some genuinely new threat. Yeah. I mean, heck, we saw Ferengi and Borg on Enterprise, so uh, there's phase you can make it oh, work. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and we never again saw Denobulans, which yeah. is too bad, because they're <laughs> awesome. Yes, I love Denobulans. <laughs> what else do you have in your notes, if anything, about this subplot? I did find it odd, odd that... Um, Apparently in Starfleet, when you steal files, you delete any originals as well. Because <laughs> in that call, they're like, Spock ran away. You can't, I can't give you any information because things got weird. Someone stole the files. files are missing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, do you just delete these things? Well, when Lady Amanda them? originally said she had stolen the medical records, I kind of forgot what era we were living in in the show. And I... She reached under her shawl, and I thought she was going to pull out a manila folder with papers in it, because <laughs> not every hospital is using electronic medical records yet. But of course, it would be a thumb drive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't know if it was her steal. I mean, it was maybe coincidence that she stole at the same time someone else tried to do a cover up. Section thirty-one. Maybe? Oh, that's I interesting. I, I was kind of wondering how she got her hands on the medical records in the first place, anyway. I mean, she used the ambassador codes to steal, take the ship and get on Discovery. And so, who knows? She, she may have had some other Wait, ways ambassador codes? What, what? Oh, and she was on Sarek's ship and was giving the ambassador a signal like, well, gotta just take and it in. And you think she did that without Sarek's knowledge? It sure seemed oh. that way. Because she was always, she was being very quiet. This episode, I had to turn up because it was all the whispering. I had some trouble hearing things. I wasn't sure if that was because I was watching it on a different TV. Oh, no. I had to turn it up way higher than I normally have to watch Oh, good. I'm glad that it wasn't just me. No, no, no. It was all very quiet. We always had to whisper, even though we have TV audience. It was very ASMR. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) What? You don't like that? 
Star Trek ASMR. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I'm Googling that right now. Star Trek ASMR. <laughs> it's oh, like, yeah, here it is. Oh, it. my gosh. There's, there's a half a million hits for that combination. Oh, man. You know, I could bet the warp drive, uh, TNG warp drive, just going. I've seen it, one of them. but it could be. Moving on. This episode was fine. I didn't hate it at all. But much like some of the short treks, it felt like just... Maybe you should have split this up. (laughs) Yeah, I I definitely don't disagree there. I kind of wish that they had waited on the Klingon thing and put it with something else that made sense. Because when you say this could be three short treks, the way I was thinking of it was most episodes of Star Trek have an A plot and a B plot. Like on DS9, it might be the Dominion is at war with us. And also Julian and Miles are having an adventure on the holodeck. (laughs) <laughs> that was my exact reference in my head too I was thinking <laughs> I love those subplots and this episode of Discovery I felt like there were three subplots plots A, plots B, and plots C and that's just, it's too much it's kind of like when a Batman movie has too many villains or, yeah, or Spider-Man, Spider-Man 3 we don't talk about that one so I don't know what mm-hmm. they were aiming for here I don't know if they were just trying to fill the hour or if they just have this many threads they need to throw at us all at once I hope they slow things down and go for depth instead of breath in future episodes. Yeah. Like I said, it was fine. I didn't hate it. I just like, yeah. I mean, there's lots of moments I loved in it. I just, uh, yeah. Moments do not an episode make. So if we have nothing else to say about Point of Light, shall we talk about Carpool Karaoke? Yeah, yeah. So this is a... TV or online show, which neither of us watch, but which celebrities get into a van, drive around town, and are filmed singing together and just having some banter between songs. And they did an episode of Carpool Karaoke with Tilly, Saru, Michael, and Stamets. Yeah, it was a fun little ditty for a song. The actual Carpool Karaoke was, I'd never seen the show and neither of us really see the appeal of it because it's just karaoke with people who really aren't singers, generally speaking. But this episode had a couple of things going for it. First, Anthony Rapp. He was in the original Broadway cast of Rent. He is a singer. He knows what he's doing. And it was great to see him doing some karaoke. And two, the banter between these characters in between episodes was a lot of fun. I mean, they were talking about their memories of shooting the first episode together. And Tilly was talking about I mean, they were all going around about what it's like to be at conventions and get auto- and be asked for autographs, not only for Discovery, but all these other shows they've done. And Mary Wiseman is like, oh, yeah, my extensive off-Broadway repertoire really makes me a huge hit at the conventions. <laughs> and because next to those other three stars, I don't think she's probably as famous. It was fun yeah, to see her so. sort of do that kind of humor. And also, they pulled over to the side of the road at one point and they shared a meal of space food, like basically what we sent up to the astronauts. And that was hilarious because one of the things I found really distracting about the entire episode was that no cut was longer than three seconds. Anytime that they were singing, the cameras in the van were constantly switching angles, very distracting. But when they went for the space food and Michael Burnham tried a vegan space burrito, the camera just stayed on her face while she experienced <laughs> every morsel and it she was appalled by this food and it was so subtle and so drawn out and so delicious 
So you can watch oh, that show for free on any iOS or tvOS device that has the Apple TV app. If you want to watch it on the web, you need to have an Apple Music account, I think. I've never used Apple Music, but that seemed to be what it was telling me to do. But even without that, you can watch a one-minute sneak peek on YouTube or Twitter, which was quite the experience. Do you want to tell us about it? Uh, oh, yeah. We had, we had the Michael Saru Stamets and Tilly all singing um, their own version of 525,600 bits. And... I mean, I got a kick out of it. It's cute. The first song I hate. <laughs> yeah, the song the Seasons of Love is a little bit overdone, but it was really clever that they chose to use it because Stamets sang it in the original Broadway version. So to have the original cast member singing the song, but with lyrics all about Star Trek, it was fantastic. Yeah, it was cute. It was fun. 525 Star Trek shows to explore. 525,600 spin-offs. I had no idea what a great singer Michael Burnham is. Yeah, or any of them. I, I mean, I hadn't heard any of them sing before. I didn't. I guess I'd forgotten. I, I knew about um, Anthony Rapp being in Rent, but I entirely forgot it until you mentioned it before the show here. Mm-hmm. Actually, you're right. They were all good singers. But in hindsight, the reason I mentioned Michael Burnham specifically is because her voice was higher than I expected. I, I Watching the show, I would have thought she was an alto, but she sounded more like a soprano. <laughs> she has more thought than I had given to it. Oh, well, I used to sing in the men's choir when I was in college, so... That makes sense. I wouldn't call myself a musician, but I have done a lot of musicals, and so I this is just something I picked up on. Well, right on. See, you bring your expertise, your knowledge base to the show, right? <laughs> Right. The Star Trek podcast. You bring Star Trek. I bring community theater. (laughs) (laughs) Nice to know one of us is relevant. Hey, on Star Trek, they have uh, recitals and things like that and reenactments and terrible season two episodes of TNG because their writers are on strike uh, all the time. I actually like all the recitals that they have with Data playing the violin. and. Oh, no, I didn't say those are bad. I didn't say those are bad. I meant the the clip episode of season two in TNG, but that's a... Oh, Seasons of Grey? Or no, what am I talking about? Shades of Grey, right? Yeah, yeah. Wait, was that the name of it? Wow. Because because now I'm thinking of Fifty Shades of Grey. And here I'm thinking of the Q episodes. uh, Q in the Grey. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it was called Shades of Grey. Weird. (laughs) I never... I mean, I knew that was the name of the episode. I never put it into context. Nowadays, if you were to say that name, you would think Fifty Shades of Grey. Uh, I never, I, you know, I didn't even think of it here, but I don't think of that movie or book. Now we have now, and now we're never going to be able to get it out of our heads. I will thankfully easily. <laughs> I mean, you watch that clip episode 50 times Ugh. and that is 50 shades of gray. Oh, that is okay. That's a challenge. That's a, that's like a 2019 charity drive challenge. <laughs> <laughs> like desert bus or something. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, I think that's it for this week then. Yeah, yeah, on that note. <laughs> I, I have not watched the preview for Season 2, Episode 4, but I am looking forward to it because there's nowhere to go but up from here. Yeah, that's for sure. I don't think we'll be seeing the Klingons next week. I don't think we'll be seeing Captain George June next week. I think that was mostly built up to the Captain George June TV show, and maybe we'll see the Klingons again, but only oh. if their society further destabilizes and or somehow ties into the red pulses. Oh no, yeah. They're gonna they're gonna get all it's all gonna get tied in. It's all gonna get tied in. The Giorgio Shibi show is not gonna happen for a while. When do you think we'll actually get to meet Spock? 
Uh, I sure hope it's soon, but I'm guessing at least by halfway, like they did with the Mirror Universe last time. Yeah, so there are 15 episodes, I think, in this season, so seven and a half would be halfway through, and so we're halfway done the first half of the season. So, more or less. Maybe less. But, yeah, I, I think it'll be soon. Like We have seen so many photos and videos of him, we have a general idea of what he looks like, so there's not really any surprise in holding him back any longer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what was that? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, don't you know? Oh, geez. But whenever he does show up, we will be here on Transporter Lock to review that episode. Yes, until next time, I'm Sabriel. I'm Ken. Hit it. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at Transporter Lock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at transporterlock.com. So, all right, that's a wrap. That's an Anthony wrap. That's an Anthony wrap. Ha! <laughs> oh, Lordy. So many bloopers. <laughs> no, that's just me normally talking. <laughs> I intend every word or near word I say. You don't actually listen to Transporter Lock, do you? Oh, no. I mean, no, no, once in a while <laughs> I catch it. But uh, no. You just keep me muted the whole time. You just talk to yourself. I do put bloopers in. Oh, yeah. I know that part. Yeah. Okay. Just so you're aware. <laughs> I don't know why you keep thinking my my speech is bloopers. Everything I say is <laughs> as it should be. When I download the tracks from Zencaster, that's how they're labeled. Track one, Ken. <laughs> track two, bloopers. Oh, <laughs> huh, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. It's like it knows. <laughs>